Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So we are continuing today in the spirit of keeping things as normal as they can be. We're continuing in an ongoing study uh, that we've been in. Now this is our seventh week called Me, Myself, and Why. And here's a great opportunity for you. If you don't like where we've been, you can turn it off the TV now. Just a great opportunity. you got to look for the silver lining in the clouds. See? In all seriousness, today really is part seven of our ongoing study. And you know why? Because we're trying to love. We're trying to love well and to love deep. And to do that, we remember what Christ commanded us to do on the night that he broke bread and poured a cup. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you love one another. And we also remember this this greatest commandment to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all of our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we've been saying these last seven weeks that you can't really love God without loving your neighbor because the love of God begins with the love of neighbor. I mean, it begins with attempting to understand something about your neighbor because we think that we can love our neighbor uh, kind of at a distance, but not with a Jesus kind of love, not with a Christly kind of love. Because that kind of love requires a humility on our part to somehow remove our ego, to crucify our own arrogance, and somehow learn something about the person we're commanded to love. Why in the world do they see the world that way? Why in the world do they see and view and do life the way they do? It's so very different than me. Well, seeking to understand them is an act of love. But we really can't learn to understand somebody else till we realize that we ourselves are in need of understanding because as much as we like to think that we have the corner on everything that's right and wrong, as if we know the truth about everything, the truth is we ourselves position our lives because of a number of reasons that maybe are hidden. We have traps and motives that are sometimes so hidden that we're blind to our own motivations And we need to seek to understand why we ourselves view and do life the way that we view and do it. So loving God includes loving our neighbor and seeking to love ourselves. That's why we're doing this series. And as a part of this series of me, myself, and why, what we're trying to do is use this ancient tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is kind of a road map, if you think of it that way, of trying to navigate our understanding of each other and the nine different ways that people kind of enter into life. And as we talk about these nine archetypes or personality types or ways to view life, we've been saying that this, this, uh, this road map is really divided into three groups of three, three triads, really. There are those among us who are heart people and they feel their way through life. There are those who are head people who think their way through life and those who are gut or body people and they trust their instinct to do and function their way through life. 
And while all of these are in us at the same time, one begins to emerge as a dominant kind of way to be. And this is an exciting day today because we are now on the last week of the head triad. So we are now focusing on the last of the head triad, the five sixes, and today the sevens. The sevens are called the enthusiasts. The enthusiasts. Man, I love sevens. You do too. You might just not know it. I mean, every seven I know is a party waiting to happen. I mean, you know a seven when they walk into the room because they bring into the room an energy, a sense of hope, a sense of can-do. Last week, when we talked about sixes, I said, for every silver lining, there is a cloud. For sevens, it's for every cloud, there is a silver lining. So sevens are they who are enthusiastic about life. And what drives them is this need for adventure and experience. They have kind of an appetite, an almost insatiable appetite, for more adventure and experience and engagement. I mean, you can be at dinner with a seven. And here's what's going on in a seven's mind sometimes. They can be enjoying dinner. They could be loving it. It could be the best meal they've had in weeks. But in their mind, they are also saying, you know, this is so good, but I wonder if we could have gone someplace better. There may be a better restaurant that has a better steak that prepares it in a better way. Or they may be enjoying the meal, and they may be saying, you know, this is great, but I think, I think we just need to pay the check so we can go to another place to have dessert. See, for sevens, sevens are constantly looking for the next, the next adventure, the next uh, excitement, the next experience. If you want to think about putting a face on it, think about famous people we know who are likely were sevens, like, like Robin Williams. I mean, think about his kinetic, even frenetic energy, just all over the place, ready to absorb life, or maybe Jim Carrey in the same way. You know, think of that, a party waiting to happen, or... Kids, if you're at home today and you're watching with your parents, watching and doing church in your, in your home, I want you to think of somebody too. Think of Peter Pan, right? Think of Peter Pan, the guy who really doesn't want to grow up because why in the world would you want to grow up when there's so much fun to be had, right? So there's an island with all kinds of adventure to be explored. Well, these are the kinds of people that come to mind when you think about the energy and the, the momentum of a seven. But you know, one of my one of my favorite sevens, uh, one of my favorite sevens was on the platform a minute ago. It's this guy here, a seven, a full-on seven, right? So in our staff meetings sometimes, I just got to tell you about David White. Because David is a seven who is a can-do, silver-lining kind of guy, cup half full, and why in the world is it not all the way full? That kind of uh, attitude, that optimism. I can bring a bad idea to the table, and, 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 and a seven is the kind of person who says, Hey, well, let's try it. We may fail. It may be an embarrassing failure, but let's give it a shot. I could come to our staff and say, you know what? For Mother's Day this year, I think we ought to paint the steeple pink. And David will say something like, well, I think that is the best idea I've ever heard in my life. In fact, I don't know why we've not already done it. I've got a paintbrush. You've got a paintbrush. Let's get a ladder. Right? It's good to have a seven on your team just to kind of push it along a little bit, right? But and David's a healthy seven, but i got to tell you what the downside is about all of our numbers. Each one of us, we have a kind of super strength that makes us um, kind of powerful in the world, makes us capable in the world. But for every super strength, I've been saying there's a kryptonite or a shadow side or a, a downside. 
the thing that makes you strong is the thing that makes you weak. It's your trap. Because for a seven, if you know someone in your life like this, the thing that gives them this energy or this sense of momentum and adventure and experience, it, it emerges out of a deep fear of pain. It emerges because sevens are they who attempt to, to avoid the struggle and the pain and the tragic side of life, and they do that by filling their lives with experiences. Because if, if there is a space left in life, when it's possible for that space to be filled with injury or woundedness or for it to go negative or dark, and sevens won't do that. Sevens will fill up the space with one more adventure, the next big trip, the next big experience, so that there is no room for pain. They manage the fear of pain by making no room for it. Squeeze it to the edges of their life so they don't necessarily have to think about it. Now, all throughout our series, I've been saying that we have, we all of us, each number has a kind of uh, deadly sin or a passion that is ascribed or associated with our number. And for sevens, the deadly sin for a seven is gluttony. I mean, don't get worked up. It's not gluttony just in terms of food, because you may be eating a biscuit while you're watching this this morning, and you don't need to feel guilty about that. I'm talking about beyond food, gluttony, the sense of filling my life up in order to abate this insatiable hunger for more, 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 right? Gluttony in terms of, I will fill my life up with pleasures and experiences and satisfactions so that I don't have to feel or think about or talk about that which is painful. Now, we're able, when we think that way, to be more postured for loving the seven in our life. Because we realize the person who always lifts us up and, and drags us up out of the clay and, and brightens up the room may have a dynamic going on on the interior that we often forget because they're just so fun to be around. Yeah. You know that it's been said that of all the numbers on the Enneagram, there, there are three numbers, two sevens, and nine, or two sevens and nines, who are most prone to addictions, right? Suzanne Stabile says that that may be true, but of all the numbers, including those three, two, seven, and nine, sevens are most prone. And why? Because of this sometimes unexamined need to fill life, to fill it up with experience and push pain to the edges. See, sevens can be masters at two things. Sevens can be masters of disguise and masters of denial. Masters of disguise and masters of denial. They're masters of disguise because you would never think that a seven in your life has anything deep or tragic or painful going on because they're so darn charming. I mean, they are charming and witty and fun because they project this persona. We all project persona all of us. But the persona that the sevens project is an image that is all fine when they can potentially be spiraling from the inside. I mean, we know how Robin Williams' life ended, but did he look sad? He didn't. I mean, it's possible to project an image and yet at the same time be living an experience that is the opposite of that image. They're masters of disguise, but they're also masters of denial <laughs> because they have, more than any of us, the capacity to reframe 
every experience they go through. They retell the story in a way that doesn't sound as painful or as tragic or as hurtful as it was. Do you know somebody in your life who's a seven and when you talk about that thing that happened, I mean, the way you hear them tell it, you're like, that's not how I remember it because it was was worse than that. You're kind of putting icing on this thing. Well, that's because they are masters of this and have learned to become that. And it creates a problem in terms of love. It creates a problem sometimes in terms of relationship or connections, and here's why. Relationships require commitment, and commitment requires routine and predictability and monotony. And sometimes relationships and commitment, commitment itself requires boredom, seasons without some kind of stimulating kind of experience. And for sevens, it's difficult Because at times, sevens have a hard time admitting that there may be a problem present. Because for sevens, standing still can feel like you're sinking. Yeah. Do you know that in the Bible, there's a seven? King David. King David emits seven energy like no one else in Scripture. I mean, every story that we know about King David, if you look with the eyes of the seven... You see seven energy coming out. Just think about David, the, the, first, um, the first big story that you ever knew about, King David, the David and Goliath story, right? You remember this story. You know how it happens. Uh, David is sent by his father to go to take some supplies to his brothers who are in battle. They're at, in war against the Philistines. And there's kind of a standoff, and you know the story. He shows up. He, 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 he uh, volunteers to go and fight the giant Goliath, Saul, the king, kind of mocks him and says, you don't know what you're doing. They have this kind of debate about things. And then you know how the story ends. He takes the sling, five smooth stones, and he wins the day. I mean, that's worth a whole sermon series in itself. But today, here's what I want you to pay attention to. Listen to this particular passage through the ears of a seven. It reads, But David said to Saul, Your servant uh, used to keep sheep for his father, And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. That's part of the story. And true as it is, I want you to hear the seven energy that's rising up off the pages there. Hey, look, uh, King Saul I've already been there and done that with the bear, the lion. I mean, I've killed bears. Boring. I mean, I've killed lions. Yawn. Come on. This is my next. This is what's waiting for me. Sevens are constantly looking for the thing that's coming next, so much so that they may even miss the thing that's right here right now. And there's another example of David emitting seven energy if you look for it. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It's a big day of celebration. They're dancing. There's a parade. There's music, tambourine. They're singing. And David begins to dance. And the text says that he, he dances so vigorously that he dances himself right out of his clothes. He becomes exposed, right? It's kind of an awkward passage. And his wife gets upset and chews him out. You shouldn't be acting like that. You you shouldn't be behaving that way. And then listen to his uh, very seven response. David says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. In other words, sevens know, 
how to take a party up to the next level. You think this is uncircumcised? You think this is un, uh, undignified? I almost said uncircumcised, thinking about David. <laughs> you, think, you think this is undignified? I want to take it up another level. But see, the thing with sevens and the capacity to take it up to another level or to move it to another experience is this. When the parade is over and the music stops, it becomes dangerous because standing still to a seven feels like sinking. And this is exactly what happened with David. Maybe the most tragic story that we know about David, King David, occurs with Bathsheba. Listen to these words. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. We'll stop right there for just a minute because there's more to the passage. But we could preach the whole sermon on that one verse alone. In the spring is when kings go out to battle. But this king was avoiding the conflict by staying home in Jerusalem. Now, not all sevens and not all sevens all the time do this, but there is a hidden, unexamined tendency to avoid the conflict, to avoid the pain of battle. And that is where David and many of us get into trouble. The, the passage continues. They destroyed those who he sent out to do the battle, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a, a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, she came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. And, and you know what happens next in the story. Now David, walking around the roof, looking for the next stimulant, the next pleasure, the next thing to fill the space of emptiness in his life, creates a problem that now he has to solve, and he tries to solve it by covering it up. So he brings... Uh, the Hittite, uh, Uriah, he brings Uriah home from battle. And he tries to get Uriah drunk in order to maybe sleep with his wife and believe that the kid is his. And it doesn't work because he's too faithful, he's too loyal to the king. So he sends him into battle, and not only into battle, but sends him to the front lines where the most fierce fighting is in order to be sabotaged, killed, and it works, and he dies. And all kinds of chaos emerges in David's life. See, for a seven, it can look as if the life that they have chosen to construct is happy and filled with grace and life and love because they are the ones who know, they know more than any of us, that the, the universe is teeming with life. And why wouldn't we just suck the marrow from it and, and drink to the dregs joy and love and life but when it stops, we have to deal with the emptiness or the space of not having a next gluttonous appetite to be filled. That's where danger emerges. And it doesn't happen overnight. Now, I want you to think about somebody who you know who may be a seven. It happens because 
we all carry these wounding messages around. And for a seven, the wounding message that they pick up early in life and carry around with them, maybe not even knowing it, is this. The wounding message is that it's not okay to depend on anybody or anything. So young David, in other words, you're on your own. Young David, he's the youngest of eight brothers. And he's, he's defending predators on his own. He learns that no one's going to take care of me, so what I'm going to have to do is create something else to depend on. And while he's out there tending sheep for hours on end, he becomes a musician. He teaches himself how to play music. He's a songwriter. He writes psalms. He fills his life with adventure so that he can depend on this external thing that will take care of him. Happiness, pleasure, joy, experience. See, we carry this wounding message around. But those of us who love the sevens in our lives, we realize we can convey to them not just a wounding message, but a healing message. We can convey the healing message of Jesus, which for the seven sounds like this. Your needs will be taken care of. You are not on your own. You are not by yourself even when life becomes tragic or scary or when a wound emerges and reopens. It's okay. Your needs will be taken care of because you don't have to walk through that valley by yourself. See, loving a seven requires somehow reminding them that you can be in touch with the real, natural, normal, painful side of life because I will not let you go there by yourself. You can go to the depths because we will go there with you. Love of Christ compels us. Now, here's the deal. I want to stop talking to you about sevens um, as if they're not in the room. And while nobody is in the room, we do have three who I want you to know as our panel. See, you're in for a real treat because usually at the end of these sermons, I introduce and interview one person who is that number. I've got three sevens. That means we may be here till 6 o'clock tonight having fun. I want them to go ahead and come up on stage. And these are three of my very favorite sevens in the world, very favorite human beings in the world. We've got Olivia Ivy, Dave Rich, and Tommy Heaton. And we're going to sit for just a few and talk about sevens and about our faith and how we do and view and orient life. I think it's on. You might tap it. Just give it a yeah. There you go. Well done. Yeah. Welcome. New experience. It is a brand new experience. Yeah, I know. Listen, first, let me just say how grateful I am. I, I really have been looking forward to this um, since I talked to each one of you um, because I just I love and admire each one of you. But I want you to be the truth tellers here about is there anything that I just said that actually rings true? And what do we need to tell our folks uh, at home about loving seven. So I've got a couple of questions to guide us, okay? I'm just going to throw it out there and see what the three of you do. All right, first question. So what are you learning about yourself lately when it comes to what you're discovering about your, your pattern as a seven in the Enneagram? So what are you learning about yourself lately? Well, I... Um this this was kind of a fun realization for me. I took the Enneagram test several times, and I never got a seven. Mm. Um, I listened to the recordings of Suzanne Stabile doing her Know Your Number workshop right. that she right. did for us, and when I got to sevens, 
I was like, oh my gosh, get out of my head. Get out of my head. And I think the reason that I've never gotten a seven in the test Mm -hmm. is because I'm a seven. It's because I really um, value, deeply value experiencing life from every perspective that I can. Mm. And And you um, don't want to be put in a... In a box, you don't want to be told you got to stay here, right? Right, which yeah. was exciting it, to me as a sure. seven because, you know, getting to be somebody else is an adventure, is, right. and I am enthusiastic about it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, so that's my label, but my label allows me to be everything else. Okay, that's very good. That's my label, but my label allows me to be everything else. That's, that's almost like, uh, I think it was Rohr, Richard Rohr, who said, because a lot of people think, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be put in a box, but he says, well, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It, it reveals to you the box that you've put yourself in over the years. And now, with that awareness, you're able to, to do all the other things, right? All of the things, all the stuff, right? That's what my parents say, I say all the time. I just want to do all the things. I want things. to do all of it. Really? Is that right? Okay, good, good. So, uh, anybody else? Like another question? Okay. Okay. So, what about, um, what, what are you learning? What are, either one of you. Tell us what you're learning. Uh, so I love the descriptor, uh, the enthusiast. Right. I, I, I thought about bringing my coffee cup uh, yeah, that, yeah. that you gave yeah, me. Right, right. It says seven enthusiasts. Uh-huh. Um, and I think some people might say, well, I mean, we're all kind of enthusiastic. But the illustration I, I, I got to thinking about was when a seven says, hey, I'm into this. Mm. Or when a seven says, I'm, I'm into that. First of all, they're into a lot of things. You might sit there and go, there's no way you can be into all All of those those things. things." Uh, But when a seven, I'll speak from personal experience. So when a seven says, I'm into Georgia football, Hmm. I'm into Georgia football. For me, that meant I physically attended 11 football games last year. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't mean you'll catch the game if you're not occupied. No, no, no. There's no casual interest. It means you travel with the team. You you, you just, yeah, I got you. I got you. When uh, when I say I'm into tennis, uh, I could be in three tennis leagues at the same time. Okay. Um, So, and and then as you think Mm -hmm. through this, there's a competing sort of rational thinking and that's competing with the, the sevenness, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And that, that voice sounds like this for me. The rational voice says, there's just no way that you can do a good job at all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm learning. At the same time, the other voice says, unless <laughs> you're a seven. Right. And right. Then, <laughs> then you, you can, can do right. all of right. those things that's and good. do a great job yeah. at all of them. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a work in progress. All right. All right. What about you, Dave? I, I just find that I, when I read the descriptor seven, I said, okay, that resonates with me. Mm. Not so much the kryptonic side of right, it, but I'll right. touch on that. Yeah. But I am a great sampler of life. Mm. I want to try this. I want to see that. I want to go here. I want to do that. Uh, but then I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there can be... Uh, a lack of depth, hmm. except in the depth of your enthusiasm. So that's, that's sort strong. of the... That's good. That's what's in, interesting. When you, when you look at the negative side of it and the place where I tend to struggle, hmm. it's there's a scripture. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what sort of brings me back to balance. It's Luke 9:62, and that's no one who sets their hand to the plow mm. and looks, looks back, back. Yeah. is fit for service in the wow. kingdom of God. Wow. So what you tend to do is, I did this, I did this, I did this, but what if I would have done that? Yeah, okay. And then what centers me back is, I'll go, wait a second. Somehow in the midst of this chaos, and sometimes it is chaotic, I managed to get saved. Mm. So what did I do that was so wrong? The thing I have to watch is there's a tendency to want to just press press the edge of the envelope. How much can I get away with? Meaning how much can, how, what bizarre experience can I have by just saying something inappropriate, right, you know, right. those things. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And, and then you, you, you put your toes over the edge and sometimes slip over the edge and oh, have to yeah, come yeah. back. But that's another well, experience. It is. It's another experience, which counts yeah, in a seven's absolutely. mind. It was a bad experience, but it was an experience. I'll chalk it up, right? Well, so let me say this. It's been said, right, that, that for a seven, anticipation of a thing is usually more exciting than the thing itself. And that's probably generally true for everybody, but tell me how that looks and feels um, in your minds. I can give you one example that I've used with people. Uh, I was on my way from Mongolia back to the U.S. and had a chance to stop in China. As, as you do. I mean, as, 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 as a person does. does, you know. As one does. And of course, the thing I've got to see is the Great Wall of China. Right. So I have a driver meet me at the airport. Okay and take me out to the Great Wall. But I don't want to go where everybody else goes. I want to go to the place on the wall where the tourists don't go, because that's going to be a different experience. And I got there, and I climbed up, and I looked around, and I said, let's go. Right. And that was it? That was it. Okay. What about you you guys? Um, For me, it's not so much that the experience itself is a letdown, Mm -hmm. but it's that almost no one can match my enthusiasm level. Mm So when I have a shared experience, and that's what I prefer, I don't want experience just for me. I want to be with other people when I experience things. And and I'm like, this is the best day ever. Most people are like, Like, it's all right. It was good. It was good. I'm married to a five. Okay. And um and he will deeply internalize and appreciate an experience, but won't express it. Won't emote like you. And and I'm like, but aren't you excited? He's Mm. like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Doesn't it show? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the letdown for me okay. is that nobody can match. But you don't. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that's, that's perhaps the one thing that sometimes, sometimes sure, I think, but I think as you get older, mm. that you realize that you've set yourself up to be disappointed and you grow out of that a little bit. Mm. But I just thought of something. I know that's shocking. Yeah. I just yeah. thought of something that I do that is quite weird. And my daughter said, Dad, that's the weirdest thing ever. But um, Olivia, Olivia and I both perform, as, as we just sang, you know. But um, I have, at times, downloaded and printed off scripts and learned parts to things <laughs> to get the experience in my mind. To, to get play, the experience to, to plays that, that you're not in. To plays that I'm not okay. in and will probably never be okay. in, right? Sure, sure. And that to me is exciting okay. because it allows me to anticipate yeah. what if this happened. Yeah, to imagine. And I actually that's do that. that. That's probably on the extreme okay. side of saying it's, that's, yeah. 
that is fun for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And it also doesn't carry along with it the risk of doing it and being disappointed. Right. Now, the negative. The negative is sometimes we plan, we enjoy that planning, but we stop. And we go back and we plan something else. And we stop. Mm. And so the action oftentimes you're feeling me on this aren't you like the concert we've been talking about doing for three years yes <laughs> there's that okay we, really? we have had like yeah. five conversations you've about talked this. about doing a concert and how for three fun years. are those conversations uh, we've talked but it about, never actualizes we've talked about what we're going to sing okay the the biggest deal is do we want to do sacred music or do we want to do show tunes or do we uh -huh. want to do a mix of both and and we need a doer to come help us yeah. interesting <laughs> we okay we need an eight or somebody to like come that. and push that along for you and make it happen so then let's turn it a little bit let's turn the conversation now because we're talking about uh, our attempt to understand you so that we can love you deeply and love you well right so what is one of the most misunderstood most understood things about us heaven what what's a great misunderstanding about you i want you to think about that all right and what, what is it that people usually misunderstand about you that we're okay all the time hmm. yeah um I, i'm gonna speak for myself because i don't know that this is a an, in sure. general seven experience but um i because i don't like living too long in the negative hmm. i feel like other people don't either and part of my reframing is not for me, it's for others. Mm. And, um, uh, and I will do that, and it's sort of like a two, I will do that until I'm depleted. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so uh, something that my five husband has been awesome about is helping me know when I need to rest, mm -hmm. when I need to step away from taking care of others and being the, you know, the class okay. clown and all of that. Right, right, right. And um, uh, take a few days to just sit in the house okay. and, and value that as an experience as opposed to thinking of it as boredom. So I guess he's using my reframing against right, me right. Um, or for me. Yeah. Um, my mom does the same thing. My dad does the same thing. You're pushing yourself. You need to take, take a rest. Okay. And I think that's um, important uh, to a seven is to, to be reminded that we need to rest. Okay. It's a good word. All right. Another misunderstanding. Well, I've got one, Dave, and I, I bet you would agree with this one. But the thinking part of sevenness, mm. it, it's so exciting to me that somebody else has that experience because I don't want people to say, well, you know, Tommy's always up for an outing or a trip or something fun. You don't normally associate that with the intellectual side of life. But man, I want to get down with that. Yeah, I want right, to talk right. history yeah. and theology right. and okay. politics at times. Mm -hmm. And and I clearly wanna, not right now. No, uh, but, but but I do want to <laughs> exercise. I do want to exercise those yeah. those those brain those brain muscles. Yeah. Um, and I'm telling on myself a little bit here because mm -hmm. what I need, and and my I think being married is very helpful in this. My wife will do this sometimes to grab me by the face. Mm either metaphorically or yeah. literally, and yeah. say, I need you here right now to listen to what I'm saying right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. This is serious. Okay. I need you to stop and not think about what we're doing tomorrow, but think about what's going work? on. It, it really does help me, okay. um, and I've learned to receive that better. I'm learning to receive that okay. better. All right. Dave? 
I forgot the question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. No, what, what is, uh, what's the misunderstanding? I, that you always want to be the life of the party. Yeah. That there, I love people, and my favorite thing, whether I travel or locally, is just engaging with someone and hearing their story and vicariously living their experiences. Hmm. Yet there's very much a part of me that's a loner. Okay. And, and, and people wouldn't would not imagine that. Would not imagine that. Mm -hmm. But that you need that as a part of your... Rhythm. Exactly. Okay. Well, to say something about... So I mentioned something about reframing, and you just said something about reframing too. So sevens will reframe an experience that, uh, that they've had to make it not sound as painful or feel as painful as it might have actually been. How does that emerge in, in your life? I think when, when I do experience things, uh, I, I reframe them in the sense that what can I learn from this mm -hmm. um, so that I don't repeat that mistake again. Okay. Knowing full well I'm going to charge headlong into mm -hmm. it and repeat that mistake again. But uh, I, I do like to look at things and, I'll, and just say, all right, what can I take from this that was positive? Okay. And, uh, and make it part of my story. And quite frankly, uh, how can I maybe use that to help someone else who's going through the same thing? Okay. So I've convinced myself that there's good yeah. in everything. And again, I go back to the scripture that all things do work together for good. So I better go out and find where the good is yeah. in that. Yeah. And this is strength for everyone who is around you. I mean, the rest of the world around us. I, I want to make sure that we, that we don't only think of reframing as a negative thing. Sometimes we who are doing life with sevens, we ourselves need to, the reframing so as to not swirl in this uh, abyss of this is awful, it can't get better. Well, let's reframe. Well, let's think about this differently, right? What about the, the two of you? Um, I 100% agree with everything he mm -hmm. said and... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a seven with a strong eight wing. Mm -hmm. My mother's an eight, and so mm -hmm. I've learned a lot of great things from her. Mm -hmm. I don't always reframe in terms of fluff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's reframing in terms of this is how it feels right now, but things have to get done. Right. So I'm going to reframe my attitude uh, to take care of either other people or myself yep. in this serious moment. Okay. So it's not just turning away from the serious. It is... Um, Survival. Yeah. Moving forward, surviving. Absolutely yeah. it is. And you can't, there's a tendency to maybe think you're going to, people think you've sloughed it off. Sure. Or you don't care. Yeah. And I remember my father saying to me once, when you meet someone mm -hmm. who really doesn't care, you have met the most dangerous person mm -hmm. on the face of the earth. Yeah. So sometimes we have to say, well, I don't, I don't really care. I'll just chalk that up to experience and every right. experience is a good experience, but it's good. It's still it's good. with you. Okay. Tommy? I, I'd never heard that before, and I agree 100%. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I, I think people do think that, oh, he sloughs things off. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm working against that because that's not always uh, a respectful way mm -hmm. to, to do that. But I, I do want to say this reframing thing is has been kind of a shock to me. And... I can almost see that, physically see the reframing as it occurs. And one of the things that 
that Suzanne Stabile said, and we, we left out this phrase, the real-time aspect Noticing it in real of the reframing. Yeah. It, yeah. it is, uh, is kind of scary, mm. and for me, on the verge of uncontrollable. Mm. You know, it's just, it's, it's happening so quickly, and it's such a powerful force, you, you just got to, like, physically kind of say, right. stop. So, um, and do you want me to tell, you want me to go in to elaborate that story? Do we have time for that? You can, sure. Uh, We got all day. Yeah, that's true. Nobody's leaving to go to lunch. Uh, Nobody left, got up. Um, So uh, this, ironically, or maybe it was just uh, appropriately, but we we had the Enneagram conference here at the church. And so after the conference, some of us went out to eat. And we're sitting there, and I'm going to try to fast forward the story, but we're sitting there at table, at the table, and I had a now Sean's sitting here, Joel Stabile sitting here, and Heather, my wife, is sitting across the table from me, and I'm eating a piece of bread. And again, this is this is so apropos. I I'm told I I know what happened, but a part of me doesn't believe that it happened okay. because it's hard to sure. imagine. But I start choking on a piece of bread, and I'm thinking this can't be happening. And I look at Heather, and she says, "Are you okay?" And I went. I'm not okay, <laughs> right. you know, and, uh, and she says, stand up. And then again, I don't, the memory of this is really hazy because I have reframed this thing to the nth degree right. and I'm smiling and laughing, but rest assured people were not smiling nor laughing. <laughs> no. Sean gets up and grabs me from behind. I'm told, right? Yes. Do you remember? I do okay. very much. And yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, oh, yada, yada, yada. Everything's fine, right? Everything's yeah. fine. So I get up from the table. I go outside. Yeah. And I say, I just need a second here. And my immediate, my first thought was, I, I didn't need that. Okay. I didn't need Sean to do that. I don't need air. And, and what I told you at that time, yeah. I'm sure you remember it, is, you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about what to do mm-hmm. or what was happening. Yeah. I was thinking about a thousand variations of how is this story going to be told tomorrow mm-hmm. and next week. As it's happening. Seeing, visualizing the headlines as it's happening yeah. because I'm concerned with okay. what does this sound like later? Right. Did you want to chime in on that? No, that's, no, that's right. It, it's, it is it's really curious. And I think a huge discovery uh, that this real-time reframe you're talking about. Because everyone around the table would say, I was there, that it was a serious moment. I mean, it really was a serious moment. But that you are in real-time reframing, I'm not joking, this is not the Heimlich, this is a, there's something else going on. It would have been, oh, fine, okay, I would have swallowed it, you know. But that's fascinating because it helps those of us who love sevens understand some of the hidden dynamics that are going on all the time in the mind, Right? So next question is about what to do with that, with your faith. I want to ask you a, a question about your faith. So how does your faith in Christ, the one who was crucified, who suffered, bled, died, and was raised? That's kind of a leading way to ask the question. But I'm, how does your faith and your following of the crucified one speak into your pattern that you're learning about your, your, your sevenness? I think for me, again, it comes back to Luke 9.62. When the down times come, and they do come, and they come from 
looking back and saying, again, it's the shoulda, woulda, couldas, mm -hmm. or as Satchel Page said, don't look back, something's liable to be gaining on you. Yeah, yeah. It's, if you're someone who's so into experiencing things and doing things, and then you look back and go, I either did the wrong thing, or I missed something, mm -hmm. or I could have done this, or I should have been there, to realize that I am of no good mm -hmm. value to God if that's the way I'm living my life. Mm -hmm. And that, again, he loved me so much mm -hmm. that he touched me, he cared enough about me to save me, and that allows me to, I don't, I don't necessarily want to use the word reframe, but right. that's what sure. popped into my sure. head, sure. to see that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And if I fulfill those purposes, which is to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and love my neighbor as myself, maybe it won't be so important that I get that next laugh, you know, mm -hmm. or that next okay. experience. Okay. But it sort of humanizes you so good. in that sense. That's good, David. Very good. Anybody else? Um, I, I think of the scripture, be still and know that I am God. That's, that's, we're in the thinking triad yep. and we think really fast. Yep. Yep. And, um, I have a tendency toward anxiety because of that. Okay. And, um, I'm not as, as, um, I guess spiritually mature to go into the depth that you just went into with your answer. But for me, it's just be still. Be still. Mm -hmm. And again, it's this, this thing that I'm learning in my own life of, of resting. I have to rest my mind. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where and, Jesus comes into and play Olivia, for me. And being still, for all of us, but for any of us, but especially for you, being still allows you, hushing the mind, stilling the forward motion, allows you the opportunity to hear your healing message, which is your needs will be taken care of. Um, you know, uh, my God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, right? I don't have to reach for the next thing. It's available if I be still and, and, and receive it. Tommy. Yeah, this is, a, for me, a very complex issue. And, and I find it, it's, it's complex in that it's hard to describe to others. But I think about, I think about depth. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard that Enneagram 7s uh, avoid pain in, in various iterations of pain, I thought, well, maybe that's not for me. And man, was it eye-opening when I realized how on point it was because I freely engage and navigate surface. Hey, mm -hmm. how was the game yesterday? Down to this next level of how you feeling? All the way down to some, some substantial depths. And, and so I navigate that. I love camping out mm -hmm. in intellectually dark areas. Mm -hmm. And, and even at Easter uh, time, I love the Good Friday thought uh, process. I love the, to me, theologically, there's a great alignment with our faith and that Jesus was a man of sorrows mm. and acquainted with grief. And man, there's an intellectual so alignment yes. to that. And, and my understanding of, of the human experience and how, wow, God really was made man. Right. The problem is when that, gets personal. Mm. When as a seven, you have flipped it, you have planned it, you have reframed it 
to the nth degree and something occurs in your life that goes a little bit further than you're able to navigate. And the only thing there oftentimes is your faith. And man, I'm just now at 40-something years old. I'm just now getting there. But, okay. but I, I, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive. At the same time, I'm excited about where that's going to take us. Well, then that's ah, so good. Last question, though, because we better, we better go ahead and wrap up our conversation. Last question is this. If all those things are true, what you've just told us about how you're seeing and learning and, and, and navigating life and what you're discovering about this navigation of, of your own life, and we're listening, then what can we do? What can we who love sevens in our lives do to love well, to love more deeply, to meet you where you are, but love you too much to leave you there? You know, what can we do practically? No, no, no. My initial reaction is to say, I'm good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my initial reaction. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if I say I'm good, then say, great, what are you good about? Mm-hmm. And that opens the door to, okay. to a yeah. conversation. Tell me more. Yeah. What are you good about? Yeah. What are you good about? Okay, perfect. Good. What else? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious thing is engage with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've really got some fun things planned, and you're going to love them. But, but you got to, you know, so if I say, hey, I've got this book. You've got to read this. Uh-huh. You've got to do this. Right. Enjoy that with us. Uh-huh. But that's the easy part. Yeah. I think the harder part is help us do the things that we're not good at. Mm. I mentioned this earlier. Help us slow down and be present, be present. with you and do that in, a, yeah. in as kind a way as possible because mm. we, can, we can take off and leave you. Um, do you so, think it requires both, though, to meet you in the, the, the daydreaming and the planning and the ecstasy of the moment? Let's go do this adventure. Yeah. Let's take this trip. Let's have this, this moment. Uh, let's try something new. But in the context of meeting you in that adventure or that, um, that forward motion is where you then can learn to, to be still. Yeah. Or where then we can somehow be heard when we say, I need you right here, right now. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, like dream with us. That would be really fun to do one day. Mm-hmm. Let's dream about it. And, and in the meantime, do what we yeah. have to do right. now to get through today. That's good. Okay. Dave, anything? No, I just uh, come along for the ride, and I promise you're not going to get hurt. Mm. That's good. You know, I'm gonna come win. along for the ride, and I promise you're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get hurt. That's good. That's good. Okay. Well, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have been on this ride for a little while together just to get a small peek into the mystery and the beauty of your inner world, your interior world, because it's worth loving. It's worth knowing and understanding more about. So here's how we've been ending our time. We've been ending our time of worship and our time of study with one of the songs from Sleeping at Last. And uh, Adam now is going to sing a song that's written, composed, Uh, but the lyrics written from the perspective of a seven. It's called Seven. Adam? How nice it'd be If we could try everything 
Restless and hungry 